Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's in My Head podcast. Today I'm joined by TMT artist Freddie Williams. Freddie, how are you, sir? Hey, thank you so much for having me on and I'm looking forward to this. Let's let's get into some fun stuff. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Before we start talking about your career, well, actually it has everything to do with your career. You posted something that I find absolutely fascinating on your Facebook the other day. You shared a picture of a calendar where, mm-hmm. can you just, I don't, I don't want to butch, can you explain the story? Because I'll, I'll interject at the end of the story, but explain to them what the picture was I just alluded to. I thought it was fascinating. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I usually keep everything just art related and it is kind of related to artwork, but it's a, a little bit more personal. Basically, I worked at Hallmark Cards for almost seven years, and the the first like year and a half or two years that I was working for DC Comics, I was also working at Hallmark Cards, um, and so there was an overlap there of those two jobs where I wanted to make sure that the comic book work was steady, and you know that I, I would have more than just like a couple of issues to draw and then and then be dropped. Um, so when I was offered an exclusive in two thousand six towards the end of the year, I had set out on my calendar, my departure date from Hallmark cards that I would then leave and become full-time, you know, comic book guy. Um, so I had like a countdown date on my calendar from Hallmark, these, these 11 by 17 calendars they provide. And, um, but, uh, of that year, which is 2007, January 17th was my last day there. And I keep that, I basically cut out that part of the calendar and stuck it on a foam core placard thing. And I keep it at my desk. I mean, it's, well, it's actually right over there beyond my desk right <laughs> at this moment. Um, but it, it helps to remind me basically of the feeling that I had of ambition and aspiration and energy and fear um, and just the excitement of getting the, the hunger and all that stuff um, whenever I was breaking into comic books and, and starting to open the door to whatever the dream was that I was, you know, entering into it and have. So all that, you know, since then I keep that placard in eyesight so that um, it, it helps to remind me. So I don't take it for granted or don't get too mixed up in my, you know, Oh man, I'm just so tired because I spent all these hours drawing. I mean, the fact that I'm getting to draw comic books for a living and draw some of the coolest stuff that I've never thought I would get to draw, per, you know, professionally and stuff. Um, I, I should feel lucky a hundred percent of the time, you know, I shouldn't. So it helps to keep me in that, the, the correct state of mind, you know? So <laughs> I was just celebrating that because it, it was just January 17th. So it was 15 years ago, 15 years from 2007, which just doesn't seem like it could even be real because it seems like we're in some Buck Rogers futuristic date. 2022 seems outrageous to say that that we're because that's where we are um so anyway it was just like a a shared personal reflection of the reminder that i give to myself and also you know i i love hallmark cards it was the best nine to five type job i mess i met some of my best friends uh that i still keep in contact with a handful of people and then 
I had so many good experiences. It was similar to like a college experience because I didn't go to college, but I learned so much there and, and met so many people. Um, so anyway, uh, that was that was it. Very very sappy, <laughs> but but I loved it. You know, I, I I have very fond memories of that time. What I absolutely love about that is not only were you chasing a dream, not only are you living that dream. But it's a constant reminder of where you came from. There's so many people that we tend to lose sight. Whenever we say we set out, <clears throat> when I was 12 years old, I made up the mind that I wanted to be a chef, right? I wanted to, my idol was Emeril Lagasse. Growing up 20 years ago, seeing this man on Food Network, him having mm -hmm. an entire crowd of people captivated by throwing spices, yelling bam, and dancing with a band, right? I, everybody had went out to restaurants and seen, you know, Texas Roadhouse, they're dancing because their lines backed up, you know, they're sending people out, fucking steak fajitas going by in the steam. It's an atmosphere, it, it's an experience going out to eat. I was captivated by what this man was doing. He, he was doing magic on these people. He, it was like a rock star, right? And I told myself, this is what I wanted to do. And I had so many jobs that I had to do before I got to being going to culinary school, becoming, you know, working in the industry. Um, and each time I was in this job, I was like, I will, I will always remember why I hated this job. And I'm not saying you hated Hallmark because you loved Hallmark. You just said it was a fantastic experience. You met some of the best friends. But for me, I, I, I look back at all the jobs that I just did not like. I only did because I needed to make a living. And mm -hmm. now I'm doing the job that, that I, I feel like I was born for even though I really like this podcasting thing, I, I feel like I was born for kitchen life. And I, I, I look back, I'm like, fuck, man, these days are hard. These days are long. They are. Yeah. God damn, does it feel good <laughs> when I get a plate of something sent out and then a guest sees it, a guest eats it. And I see that smile. You ever seen the movie Ratatouille? Yeah. So, you know, that part where ego, he's eating the Ratatouille that Remy sends out and then he yeah. drops his fork and he gets, yes. He yeah. gets transported to when he was a little kid. That's like, I got fucking goosebumps right now Freddie, when I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Like I see that and it's just like, it doesn't matter how hard, how long the day was, how miserable, how many times I cut myself or I burnt myself or I smashed this or I fucked this up. It's that <laughs> one expression of just pure joy that I get to see. And it's just instant gratification. It just takes all of that shit away. And that's what I absolutely loved about that post that you shared earlier, because like I said, so many people don't get to not only chase their dream. Some people just settle because they have to make money. So mm -hmm. to see somebody out there crushing it, like you crush it. And then you <laughs> understand where you come from and then you're humble. I just think there was something beautiful about that post. And I really enjoyed that post. Thank you for sharing not only that story, but that little piece of you with us the other day on social media. I really appreciate well, it. You, yeah. That's thank you very much. And, and I'm glad that you're getting you, that you're getting that satisfaction. The majority of the things like you, you said that people do for a living is to make money and there's nothing wrong with that. Those jobs are usually harder than the type yes. of job that I'm doing for sure. Um, but uh, one of the reasons that it's harder is because they won't necessarily see in the type of job that they're working, they're not feeling fulfilled in whatever needs to be fulfilled psychologically. But also oftentimes there's not like a visible sign of accomplishment, meaning at the end of the month, whenever I finished however many pages I'm supposed to get done, I can look at that stack or I can look at the number of scanned pieces of artwork or whatever it is that I've done. And there's like a you know, it's like I'm, I'm keeping count of the things that I've accomplished and, and I can look at the complexity of the pages. Do you get what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. like it's filling while I'm doing it, but also I can look back and feel proud of the thing that I've done. And oftentimes jobs 
typically the, the more nine to five jobs, you don't have that as much. And the type of people you're interacting with, you, you will often only hear feedback that's negative, yes. like the where, where you're messing up and stuff. And so um, this is usually, I mean, uh, I think uh, Robert Kirkman said, he used a phrase that sounds kind of um, lofty, but he said that working in the comic books industry professionally, if you can make, you know, make it a full-time thing, uh, you're breathing rarefied air is how he put it. Um, and it's, it's, I, I can see where he's coming from. He's breathing a much more rarefied air than I am. <laughs> His air is extra rare. Um, did I say that right? His air is extra rare. Anyway. Um, I'm sure to freddywilliams.com pretty soon. His air is extra rare. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird, it's such a weird phrase. I'll start <laughs> signing everything with that. And people will be like, I, I don't get it. The, the air is rare. And anyway, um, but it, it's good to keep that in mind. I mean, it, once you hit some level of accomplishment, if you're where you want to be, of course, don't feel stagnant. You have to keep pushing, but, but don't let the, the enjoyment and the satisfaction, you know, get, get sidelined where you can't enjoy, you know, enjoy it. You're, you're going to run yourself ragged, basically, if you don't uh, realize the position you're in. Oh, a hundred percent, man. I can't remember who it was that I had on the podcast, but they said on during those hard days, just remember why you love what you're doing. And then you'll never, he's like, you won't never not have a bad day, but he's like, those bad days will come a lot less. So just remember whenever you're in the thick of it, whenever you feel like all hope is gone or like, fuck did I really choose the right profession. Just remember why you love this medium in the first place. Yeah. It generally gets you through it. Um, but like I said, I, I really appreciated that post. Um, one thing I, I really appreciate you doing is Batman versus Ninja Turtles. Now, we'll get to that in just a second because, uh, you know, I buried the lead there a little bit when I was telling you my story about meeting James at Megacon a few years back. Um, and like I told you earlier, that all the turtles behind me, man. Uh, when Where did turtles rank for you specifically? I mean, were they something that you grew up with, hot and heavy with? Or was it something you kind of learned to love when you got into the industry? Or where did they come up for you? No, um Okay, so when I was like a 10 or 11, I would have to like figure it out more specifically. But um, I, I was over at my cousin's house. I have an older cousin named Jay. And um, it's like, I remember standing in the, in the doorway like of his, of his bedroom. It was very messy. And he had this big stack of books on the ground. And it was kind of like, a, so what are you reading now? You know, like that was the question. Or what are you into now? Or something like that. And so he started just showing me all these books. And he had a big stack of role-playing game books, the Palladium role-playing system. Um, which is kind of like D&D, but it's a different company. And he pulled out a book that they had licensed, the Ninja Turtle characters. They had a role-playing game of the Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. And so he said, um, yeah, that's Ninjas and Super Spies. That was a different book. Uh, that's Riffs. And then this is a new one called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he said it so casually, and it was such a strange sounding series of syllables. Uh, and this would be before the cartoon, uh, but around the time that the graphic novels from first that was the name of the company um were coming out the, the colorized version where all of them had the red bandanas um that was around that time so it was before they had i mean they were they were at a critical mass right before they they supernovaed or something um so that was when i was first introduced to them i thought they were really cool as far as the artwork um i then went to a walden's books when those existed and i think i picked up um the the first graphic novel that the the number four um iv you know um that was just the only one they had so i ended up buying that one and really got into the the type of musculature that kevin eastman and peter laird drew it's like the the turtles were so 
they had the, their mass almost looked like stone or something. It was just like the type of mass that they would draw. Um, and that really lured me in. There was something about the art style specifically. And of course the turtles designs are really awesome, but um, the way that Eastman and Laird were drawing the musculature that really brought me into it. Great sense of storytelling. Kevin Eastman just has that. Um, and uh, anyway, that's what got me into it. Then when I heard that it was going to be a cartoon and stuff, I was like, oh, neat. You know, and then I just went along for the ride. But it was those early Eastman Laird, the color reprints, but I can appreciate the black and white. I love black and white art um, that that got me hooked. And then later we got like the VHS cassettes of like the first four episodes of the TV series, which was like that first arc. And that's that's really good. Even now, if you watch it now, it holds up really well. So um, that's what sucked me into it. And then later on, but there was a big gap where if, I just never thought I'd get to draw them professionally. Um, and then in 2012, I exited my exclusive with DC Comics. So I was in with an exclusive with them for six years. That's a very long time. And then when I exited, I was able to, I started doing like a bunch of work for IDW, Dark Horse. I did a little bit of work for Marvel. Um, and in the, the IDW work, I did a few covers for the Ninja Turtles. And that kind of like hooked, put that hook back in me yeah. and uh, put me onto a collision course without me knowing it to draw all these awesome crossovers. Yeah, I, I got a, I mean, I got it right here because I, I just had a podcast a little earlier with a, with an animator, Miles Thompson. Um, and we turtles actually came up. So, uh, wife, it was the, you know, it's the black and white that IDW yeah. released uh, the hard covers and shit like that. Um, my <laughs> wife got it for me a couple couple Christmases ago because I'm such a such a turtle fan. So, oh, there I you go. This, I don't know if this is a if the image is flipped or not, but if anyone can't see it, this is the. Uh, it, it's the Eastman Laird Artisan Edition, not the Artist Edition, because yeah. they don't have one of the Artist Edition, but it's of issue one uh, of the Ninja Turtles. And I, I keep this with, this is not staged for this interaction. Yeah. I, I get nothing from this interaction of, of recommending it, but it's got like nice, proper scans of the yeah. artwork um, what, where they could. It's got the pencil blowups of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's uh, roughs for issue one. Then it jumps ahead to the black and white where the gray tones had not been added wow. uh, for the whole issue one again. And then, then it shows you those same pages again with the duo shade, which is the gray tones added after that. I think this is an amazing, an amazing book. I was um, lucky, lucky enough in 2017 to be working with Kevin Eastman on some other stuff. Um, and I was out at his house in San Diego and he had gotten his proof copy. This is not his proof copy, but when he got it, he showed it to me. He was like, yeah, I just got this today. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I, I mean, this is the kind of thing then and now, I just never would have thought I'd ever be lucky enough to see. I love the crudeness of these layouts, but I know as a, you know, as an artist, you have to start somewhere going from nothing to something mm -hmm. um, is very challenging. That's probably the biggest psychological hurdle to overcome. Uh, and so I love seeing that for every single page. And most of, I mean, this, this book is so iconic, seeing how it started and then the intermediary stages, it's just fantastic. So if anyone, I mean, I highly recommend it. I, let me see it. Cover prices for 40 bucks. Who knows how much you can get it for on Amazon or something. But yeah. It's, fantastic. It, it's, it's worth every penny. I'm sure. I, I just wrote it down. So as soon as we're off this call, I'm buying it. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've got the entire run that they did for, for the hardbacks. I, I, I love it. I mean, something I'll dip my toes back into maybe like once a year where I'll go back and I'll reread them. It's, it's just something that 
I guess you're just kind of reminding yourself like why you love these things, where it came from. And when I got to, when I got to talk to Kevin Eastman last year um, for the podcast, I have never, well, that's weird. What's that? Uh, that sign popped up, said my, my thing will end in 10 minutes. I don't know why. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll hit pause and then we'll probably have to come back. I think it's because okay. I had all those different, all, all those different uh, add-ins when we were trying to get in. So uh, it fucked it up somehow, I guess. I don't know. Well, it'll be back nonetheless, man. Um, but when I had Kevin on last year, uh, it was one of those moments where I'm just like, I don't know what to say to you. I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm like, you're my hero. I, I, yeah. I showed him a little picture of me at my like third birthday party. Um, and I had like, I was just covered in Ninja Turtle gear. I had all my little Ninja Turtle toys. And I was like, like without you, man, I I'm into like, I've, I've said this shitty joke so many times. So I apologize Coldplay, but I'm like, I'm probably into Coldplay or some stupid shit like that, man. I'm like, I'm not into the turtles <laughs> if I don't, I'm like into heroin and Coldplay or, or something along those lines. I was like, so thank you for keeping me off the streets, Kevin. <laughs> Um, but uh, he put you on the right path in life. He he definitely yeah. did. He kept me on the mean streets of the comic book pages, and not the mean streets <laughs> of where I grew up at. You know, so I'm always thankful. Um, but just just getting to see, you know, the master, I guess, if you will. Like, what was that first interaction with you? I mean, I got to imagine you just picking up through osmosis, just being there. You just all these different techniques that you might have not known about. But <laughs> what was it like for you, being an artist, getting to to hang out and talk with him? I uh, you know I actually. I would be happy if the whole podcast was just talking about Kevin Eastman, to be honest, because, um, because I, I mean, um, I very much still have had and still have those types of fanboy feelings. Um, when I first got to meet and talk to Kevin and then have been lucky enough to become friends with him and work with him and stuff. Um, so, uh, in that, that graphic novel I was describing that I got from Walden books, the color reprints in the back of it, it's got, um, a bio for, both Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Um, it's either in that book or one of the other reprints. I can't remember, but um, it, it says like what years they were born. And then it gives like brief history of them. And then they, that they work at their studio in Mirage, at, you know, at Mirage studios in New Hampshire and, you know, it gives that information. Uh, and that was actually the first time I had heard of what a studio was. Um, I'm not sure if I asked somebody what it was or if I just intuitively knew, but it was, you know, a group of guys all getting together, working and hanging out together and having you know, private jokes and just that, that sense of community and unity and learning and competition and whatever encouragement. And <clears throat> that was very appealing to me um, then. And it of, of course still is now, but that was my first like inkling. Wouldn't it be awesome to work at Mirage Studios someday? And um, Mirage Studios for anyone who didn't know, I mean, they called it that because at the time they named it, there was basically no studio. It's a, it's a Mirage, it's fake. Uh, and later it ended up growing to be like maybe 12 people plus, you know, whoever they were subcontract subcontracting to. But as far as people working in the actual building, uh, actual home or whatever, it was like maybe 12 or so people. Um, I would have loved to have worked in that environment. Um, I also found out that uh, in that bio, Kevin Eastman's birthday and my birthday, it's the same day. It's May 30th. Yeah. Uh, it's not the same year. He's 15 years older than me. But um it, it just felt like, oh my gosh, we're cosmically linked somehow because I'm a kid and I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm 10 or 11 or however old reading this. And it just felt so magical mm -hmm. that, you know, this thing, Ninja Turtles, I'd never heard of before, seems so cool. These cool guys make it. They have a studio. Maybe I'm destined to work there, you know, or, or become friends with them anyway. Um, 
but I didn't get to meet Kevin until San Diego Con of 2015, which was when the Batman Ninja Turtles was announced. And um, within about, you've probably had this experience too, but within about a minute, you feel like you're his best friend and you guys have known each other forever because he's, Kevin is a very genuine and nice person authentically, I can say that. Um, but he's also quite good at just pulling down like the, um, the type of walls. What's that? The veil. Like the veil yeah. of like his, his, he's got this aura. He's this legend and you, you, you got this aura. You're like, I shouldn't be talking to you really. And he just completely gets rid of all that. He's just a normal guy. That's a hundred percent. What you just said is what I felt yeah. like. And he, I, I was firsthand in that situation. I, I felt like, what, what do I even say? And then he just knew how to break it down. Now we were in the middle of a conversation. I, I was already smiling and he was smiling. And then before I knew it, um, I, if you have you ever been to San Diego, the actual building, the the San Diego Comic Con, I was stationed in San Diego when I was in the Navy, and I drove by it. I, I tried to get tickets to a Comic Con. This was when it was before Avengers and shit like that blew it up, you know. Uh, yeah. So I, I once that happened, I was like, I've never. I've driven by it when Comic Con has went on, but I've never gotten a chance to go in. Yeah, don't ever try to go in. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever try to drive on that main strip, you know, during the show. Um, uh, the reason I bring it up is because. It's, you know, it's like in July in San Diego, California. So it's super hot outside, as you know, but inside they make it like a refrigerator because there's just like hundreds of thousands of people just crammed into this big building. But um, I was quite chilly when talking to him and he got up from his seat and came over and put his arm around me because we were going to get a photo together. And he, it's like he had really warm, consoling hands. Do you get what I mean? Like his arm was around me and he was like, yeah, let's take this photo. And um, it, I, before I knew it, it was probably only a minute, but it felt like we just had like a half an hour interaction. Um, and I was like walking back to my booth kind of dazed in a pleasant way. Um, I, there's been, there's been many artists that I'm a big fan of their art, but I've met them and not really liked them as people. And there's a danger in meeting your heroes or whatever. Um, but with Kevin, it, it was a total success. There was no danger involved. Uh, and since then we've gotten to work, um, on a few projects and then, um, there was a, he and I uh, went to a, con we were guests at a convention in um, Dublin, Ireland. Mm -hmm. I bring that up because after, this was our first time that we got to hang out for like an extended period of time. And um, this was 2016, I guess, but uh, he was doing after the show ended, he had like a private signing and sketch session that kind of went long because he just loves to talk and sketch. And, you know, it was just longer than we had thought. And uh, towards the end, I was just there hanging out. I wasn't even sketching or sign. I signed a couple of things, but I, it was just more like uh, I'm just hanging out with my friend just to hear him talk anyway. And he's like um, him and his wife, Courtney were like, yeah, we talked to um, there's this bar that's staying open after the signing and they're waiting for us to go there. He's staying open late. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, sure. I mean, I don't drink, but it was like, if you don't mind me tagging along uh, me and Kiki, my wife, um, so we, we, we were pretty late. By the time we got there, the bar owner, although he was a nice guy, he was, you could tell he was a little annoyed because he'd been stayed open well after he should have left. Um, but this, this is the point of the story is that, that the bar owner said, <clears throat> you know, he was like, I just wanted you to know I wouldn't have stayed open for late this late for anyone else. But, you know, when I was a kid, that video game, the Ninja Turtle video game, uh, was like the one thing that me and my dad, we played it all the time together and we bonded over this game. 
um, you know, and my, my father passed away not long ago and I just wanted to thank you. And he was starting to get a little bit misty. He's going from being hard, but funny to like really sincere and slightly misty. I, I just wanted to thank you, you know, for, uh, for making the Ninja Turtles so that we could have this game to bond over and stuff. Um, and, and what it struck me as super sincere, obviously, but it also made me feel like, how does somebody deal how does Kevin, how does anybody deal with that sort of like heavy emotional weight yeah. being placed upon them? Cause he's, he's not asking for that. He's just, you know, um, he's just a great guy and he made some, he's very creative and came up with some cool ideas and what he put his arm around the guy and was like, Oh man, I'm, this is what Kevin said. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy that me creating the Ninja Turtles could be something, you know, a, a small part of your guys's uh, bonding. He said something like that, but he sounded much more natural than me. Um, and it was like a very, it was, it was like he picked that, that guy up emotionally and propped him back up on his feet and said, no problem, buddy. And, you know, dusted off his shoulders. Um, I loved it. So, uh, and I've seen many interactions like that, but that one was like the, that was the first one. So it made a really big impact on me. Um, I don't know. And later on, I asked him like in uh, 2017, Kevin and I worked on us on a book called the Commandy challenge. It's like, every issue was a different creative team and we drew issue nine together and I was at his house and we were working on stuff together. Um, and late one night I brought that up and I was like, you know, how do you deal with that? How, how do you deal with the emotion that somebody's placing in your hands? You know? Um, and he just said that he, he knows this is what Kevin said. He, he knows that the people who love the Ninja Turtles, that guy and any, everybody else who's into it is why he still has a career it's why he he feels so welcomed and so loved in the comic book industry. And he's just genuinely appreciative. And the main thing is he just doesn't want them to feel intimidated, you know, so he wants to. All right. And we're back, man. Freddie, apologize one more time for interrupting That's that okay. beautiful story about you, uh, Kevin, propping up that that amazing bartender that was telling him that amazing story. So. Yeah. Um, so I'll pick back up. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but I'll, um, I mean, I remember the situation quite vividly. So what, um, what it struck me as was that this, the, the bar owner had basically revealed, you know, he, he opened up a very vulnerable part of himself and is, you know, he, he's emotionally or whatever he's become, he's dissolved and that Kevin was able to pick him back up and, and, stand him up and, you know, pat his back and say, that's okay. You know? Um, and so what I got from that and then continued to, whenever I, I got to work with Kevin, what I, what I could see was that Kevin has a real genuine nature. He knows, uh, he, he knows how to make you feel less awkward when you're confessing these types of things to him. And he's heard it a lot of times, but he doesn't take it for granted. You know, um, he, he also was while, we, so this was in 2000. So that was in 2016 when we were at the Dublin uh, convention together. And then in 2017, I was lucky enough to get to work with him on um, the Commandy Challenge, which was a, um, that was for Jack Kirby's 100th birthday. He would have been 100 that year if he was still alive. But uh, each issue of the Commandy Challenge had a different creative team. And on issue nine, I believe, Kevin Eastman and I, we got to collaborate. It wasn't at Mirage Studios, but it was at Kevin's home studio. And so I stayed out at his house for like, uh, five days and so, I mean, I actually stayed the night and everything. It was, it was quite the experience that um, in any case, it, it was closest I could ever get to Mirage, but it was an amazing experience to, you know, we were working like 12 hours a day to, you know, the visiting and stuff. What's that? 
Did you have turtle jammies? Well, I mean, at night, but I didn't show them to him. No, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but um, I never had turtle jammies. I'm trying to think of what, um, I, but I did tell him because uh, I had a cousin who, so I grew up not with a lot of money. And so the turtle toys and stuff is something I didn't have the money to get, but I had a younger cousin who had gotten the turtle blimp. Mm-hmm. And when that big box that it came in, they were going to throw away and they gave it to me. And so I cut out the artwork on it and I kept that like that was kind of the toy it was like a cardboard cutout and um Kevin was like uh you might have got the better end of that deal in that because the the artwork was better than the blimp itself because it didn't look much like the real blimp um but anyway uh but I I had the chance while working with him on the community challenge and since then to to see that you know Kevin Eastman's philosophy is very much like he understands and appreciates that he has a career from and, and is lucky that so many people have connected with the artwork and with himself. Uh, and he doesn't take it for granted. Um, I've seen a lot of other situations since then. We've done a lot of shows together, um, a few other international ones. And I just see how he interacts with people. And it's, it's a genuine uh, appreciation. appreciation. Uh, I, and I appreciate that, you know. <laughs> I got I to tell you one thing real quick. I got to get it real quick. So uh, same same thing growing up. I didn't have, and I don't mean to apologize. I apologize for talking off mic, but uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And one thing I always wanted was I always wanted this <laughs> turtle bus, right? The mini bus, the party bus. And uh, we just couldn't, my mom couldn't afford it. My mom was a single mom. Dad went to prison when I was really young. Um, so she, a lot of the times when we were growing up, there was five of us, a lot of times growing up, she was working two jobs, right? So, um, it's, and I'm gonna try to tell the story without crying because it, it gets me every time, but it was, she was such a hardworking woman and she wanted to give us everything she possibly could, but just, she just couldn't, there was five kids, right? So yeah. I had a whole lot of love, just, you know, we, we, we made do, it's not like we were like dirt poor, you know? we did okay. You know, we had plenty of food. We always had clothes, you know, we always had a roof over our head. She worked really hard is what I'm getting at. And I went on my second or third deployment. Um, I was in Jacksonville, I think at the time. And uh, it was right before I went to shore duty. And my son had just started to get to the age where he was watching stuff on TV. He was maybe three, four, somewhere around there. And uh, the Turtles in 2012 had just come out on the Nickelodeon show. Um, So this is, like I said, this is 2014, somewhere around there, 2015 maybe. And um, all the toys started coming out, right? So Target had them all. And, you know, by this time, my mom, like all the kids were raised and out of the house. So, you know, she wasn't having to buy stuff. And this is the first grandbaby for her my son, my oldest son. So we go to target and then he's just enamored with all these turtles. So she's literally taking her arm on the shelves and then just dumping, dumping it into the, into the cart. Right. So I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, well, he wanted the turtle toys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but just get him a couple. You don't have to buy it. She's like, don't tell me what to do with my money. I was like, all right, mom, I'm not going to tell you anything. And then she goes and she picks up the turtle van, the new turtle van, and then puts it in the cart. I'm like, really? And then she's like, what is that face for? And I told her the, the same story I just told you, you know, she couldn't afford it. You know, there's five of us and all this other stuff. And uh, she looked at me and then she looked at my son and then she was like, will you share this with your dad? And he was like, yeah, I'll share. Or he just <laughs> like, all right, so he's going to share it with you. Right? So fast forward a couple years. 
it's Christmas time. It's literally the first Christmas I'm out of the military in 2016. Um, and then I usually like, I don't ask for anything from anybody because I am an adult. I can just buy my own stuff. I, that's like the whole point of having a job is so you can buy, so you pay bills, you buy stuff for everybody else. But when there's something you want, you go out and you save the money for it and you get to buy it yourself. So you get to own it. Right? You bought that with your hard earned money. Um, the hours you spent away from your stuff, that means you can go buy some stuff so you can stay away from it at work. That's kind of how the whole job thing works. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, all the presents are opened up in Christmas and there's this one box. I was like, Hey, who's the box for it? Did everybody open up their, their, their gifts? And, she, and then uh, my, my sister had pulled out her phone and so did my wife. And uh, they were like, well, that one's for you. And here it comes starting to cry. Um, so I opened up the box and uh, there's a note and it said, now stop your bitching. Here's what you wanted for Christmas. Right. So I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't bitch about anything. What's mom talking about? <laughs> and then I open it and then like, I, I'm like, wow. And uh, it just got me, man. Right. So it's getting me now. Um, That's all right. It was, it was my childhood. Right. I see this. I'm like, holy shit. I, that, that moment with Ratatouille and Econ, it's, he gets flashbacked when he's a kid. I'm like, holy shit. That's what that felt like. It felt like I was, a fucking seven-year-old kid again, right? And for the entire week of after Christmas, I would open up my office door. I'm like, oh, it wasn't a dream. This is real, right? So it's, uh, I don't mean to cry on you, but it's just like seeing that and then just like knowing where I came from as far as just like, we didn't have a lot, right? But we had a lot of love. And then my mom just always wanted to make sure she went to the, to the fucking max for us. And to know that she could still make me feel like a little kid again at like 26, 27, whatever it was, man, it just, that's what the turtles is, right? That's what Kevin mm-hmm. Eastman did. That's what Kevin yeah. Eastman does on a consistent basis. And to just <laughs> know that somebody out there like that exists and is still okay with taking on that weight. Cause that's a lot of shit to take on, right? To, yeah. to tell a story like that. You know, you might, I connected with my dad, you know, he's no longer here. This is what we had together. And to just take that absorb it. I'm pretty sure he's got tough days and he's got hard days. Cause I'm pretty sure he's heard some pretty horrific stories with, with just some of the stuff that I've heard second and third hand from people that have had troubled childhoods. And the only thing they've connected on is turtles or Scooby-Doo or cartoons or this, that, or the other, um, you know, to hear those stories second, and third hand, it, it's a lot just for being a fan of this medium and then hearing that stuff. So I can only imagine the person that created that and then created so much joy from so many people. I got to imagine when he goes ahead and he lays his head on that pillow at night, it, it feels good. You know what I mean? It, it's just, he's doing the Lord's work. I don't get religious, but he's doing the Lord's work. He's, he's, he's doing a great fucking job. Kevin, we love you is what I'm getting at, man. Um, we do. And, and I, I want to say thank you for sharing that story. I, I didn't have, you know, there wasn't five siblings, but I, it was me and my sister and we were raised by a, a single mother. And, you know, that's a lot for, you know, somebody to take on, even if they're a part of like a, you know, a, a couple, that had is stable. That's still a lot. Five kids to take on, you know, as a single parent. Um, I think that's beyond anything I could do. So I give your mom a lot of credit with that. Um, you know, Kiki, my wife and I, we do not have kids and there's two of us. We have a great relationship. If we had, you know, it, it, what I'm just saying is it's almost unfathomable for me to connect with that level of strength and dedication um, to raise five kids uh, by yourself. Your mom's a very strong person. I mean, I, 
the the emotion that you're conveying here is is deeply connected with how hard that she worked and how much she had to sacrifice you know to to make things work for you guys so i i think that's a great tribute to her and i like that also it sounds like she's pretty tough which yeah. <laughs> you know it's like very sentimental but it's delivered in a in a you know funny winking eye sort of stern way that's great yeah you know I mean, we had we had some stepdads here and there but i mean nothing really stuck and you know nobody really hung out so it you know when the dust always settled it was you know pretty much just her so you know yeah, yeah. she was definitely a hard-working lady and and uh it, it's it's one of those things like with the exception of my my kids and my wife if the house was ever you know, god forbid it never happens house is ever on fire you know the, the one thing i'm grabbing that that isn't you know my people my dogs my my wife and my kids it's, it's that right. thing because <laughs> everything else can go up but it's just that 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 thing means so much to me and i thought awesome. like i said after christmas i was playing with it i like i just felt like a kid again man but we're here for freddie man we're not here for, for fat, ugly, Julian crying man but uh so well, hold on, class, a, a related story hold on, hold on when when you first brought out that turtle van i thought it was uh i don't know if you saw but there was like a dvd collection that was in yes. a turtle van case uh so it was the dvd collection of the you know, the original cartoon series, all, yeah. all 12 seasons or however many, I can't remember how many seasons there were, but um, Kiki got that for me, I don't know, some, a, a while back. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was sitting on our shelf for quite a while. And when our nieces, we have 14 nieces and nephews and, and uh, probably the lat, like the youngest four of them, whenever they would come over. And uh, most of the time we just let them play with anything. And when they saw that, they just thought it was a, a toy. Yeah. You know, so they immediately wanted to go for it. And it's like the way that we organized our, our DVDs uh, at the time that it put the turtle van low enough that they could grab it. Yeah. And um, that was probably something we should have put up higher, you know, like just to solve the problem and, and take it out of the equation. Uh, but it's like, as soon as you touch it, the lid just falls right off of it. Yeah. And then they're like, what is this? Cause it's, it's not a toy. It's strange and it feels weird and the top just falls right off. So um, but it is cool. I mean, it immediately grabs, it has such a cool design. It immediately grabs everyone's attention yes. because, you know, most of our nieces and nephews, they would have seen uh, Ninja Turtles in the pop culture, but they weren't raised in the same way we were. So they just were like, that looks cool. You know, let me just grab it. So uh, it's an awesome design as well. So <laughs> I usually have like all of my, like, if you were to look at my, it looks a fucking atrocious. So I'm not going to show it to you. But I mean, there's there's within arm's reach. I mean, there's turtle toys. The '90s movie was was my introduction into everything, uh, popular culture. So that's uh, that that's what my desk and like like I said, all the all the toys, man. It's just it, it's something like you said like earlier when you said your cousin. It just sounded like it was so casual, rolling off his tongue. Teenage mutant yeah. turtles. You're like, what the fuck is that? But why does it sound so <laughs> sexy? Why does it sound so suave? You know what I mean? It's just it's something about the that 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 fucking that 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 comic book that they were just trying to make each other laugh about in 83 before it came out in 84 it's just them joking around and it's this multi-billion dollar ip industry whatever you want to call it it's just it's something that every few years it reinvents itself and every few years it's finding a younger generation or a new generation or a new populace it's finding somebody if there's something in there for somebody Right. No matter what you look at, whether you're there for the fighting, you're there for the storylines, you're there for the family aspect, you're there for cool fucking costumes. I still, to this day, I don't think there's any cooler villain than Shredder. I mean, just the whole, 
he made purple fucking cool. You know what I mean? Before then you had Thanos and you had Grimace, right? And then when you go to some of these cons, you see Thanos as Grimace or Grimace as Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> so, you know, it, they brought purple and made it in Vogue. I mean, it started with Prince, but Shredder really took purple and made it his own. You know what I mean? So That's great. I haven't, I haven't thought of it like that um, about purple being made cool by the shredder um but yeah he's he's a really cool villain um you know even the like the you know in the movie the design had to be altered the 90s movie um because i think the 1990 movie was was definitely the best of the ninja turtle movies um it's like they got it perfect the first time and then they devolved it's like just do just do the first movie again like or use those same principles and designs and everything but um his helmet was much larger so there's like when he's first introduced with that overhead crane shot and then it comes up he's got the uh the big cape that's over his shoulders that proportionately works really well i'm just now speaking as a nitpicky type visual guy um his helmet matches those shoulder proportions then when they take off the cape Depending on the angle, sometimes he looks a little Donald Duckish. Yeah, like the helmet's a little too big. I'm just saying proportionally, but it still works really well overall. You know, the depending on the the shot or whatever. Um, but the uh, I don't know. It just works almost every version I've seen of the Shredder. Um, it would have been awesome to see Super Shredder do some more business instead of just going raw and then you know uh, crushing himself. But you know, um, the whole, you know the whole story behind all of that. Uh, Maybe uh, I don't know, but please tell me because maybe so. I so the reason you don't see so the first one was super super dark, mind you. Like looking today, it's not really that dark of a movie. And what I mean by dark is, think of like uh, what The Dark Knight is now to nineteen sixty six Adam Adam West Batman, right? Very very campy, but it's of its time. So when this movie is done, um, obviously the sh- the cartoon. Uh, I don't know how 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 well versed you are as far as like uh, standards and practices and all that other shit goes. Um, but when the turtles went overseas to the cartoon series, we'll get to the 1990s in just a second. When it went overseas, they actually had to change a lot of the uh, weapons. And I think the the one that they changed um, pretty discriminatively was the uh, Michelangelo's nunchucks. I don't think he had nunchucks. So he had this like weird thing um, and they couldn't say, or something. Yeah. They couldn't say ninja in there because that would, indicate that they were going to violence and all this other shit so when the second movie comes out almost an entire uh, almost an entire new uh cast and crew i mean the the voice turtles were still there uh the 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 prop turtles were still there the guys that were actually doing all of the the flips and the the karate shit and all that stuff yeah um they were all still there but the a lot of the the front of the house of so the producers were still there but the director wasn't there and i my name he's blanking right now and i apologize because like i said it's one of my favorite movies the first one was one of my it's a perfect movie from start to finish in my opinion yeah. it's beautiful from the colors that they get on the screen to the shots that they're taking they make you feel like you're reading the 84 series again man it, it was super gritty super dark super phenomenal but when they get to the second one it's the same thing that they had the issues with with the cartoon series so that's why you don't see the turtles fighting like there's there's no real weapons on any of the things so i don't think shredder and the turtles actually fight uh with weapons and stuff i don't I, at least i don't think it's been a while since i've watched the second one but i had francois chow on here who played the second shredder in uh tmnt secret of the ooze part two and he, he told us the story about, yeah, they came down really, really hard. They, they didn't want the Turtles and Shredder in the same scene. They didn't want any kind of weapons um, to fight. Yeah, because they were afraid that these kids were going to go out there and get sticks and fucking knives and shit and just 
you know, stab each other. And so yeah. they really had to temper down or tamper down the violence. So that's why you, you don't see super shredder just other than breaking the, the fucking the dock and shit and bringing yeah. the pillows down and all that other stuff. You don't really see too much violence in that movie. You see a lot of slapstick violence, you know, Donnie sitting there with the fucking whack-a-mole thing with the ninja or with the foot clan and then spitting water out and all that stupid, you know, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. But like I said, that first one was beautiful. And like I said, that's why you don't see a bunch of the super shredder just destroying and wrecking shit um, because mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to, their hands were kind of, you know, shackled because of the first one. Um, which in hindsight, I wish they, I, I bet you they wish they could get that one back because they would have made another billion dollars off of that second movie. So, yeah. But, you know, because well, I mean, it seems like the, the first movie, I mean, I guess it, it, my, my gut tells me, of course, I wasn't by saying, well, we just won't go any darker than the first movie. The first movie was successful. Um, but it seems outrageous. I mean, just the thought of not putting Shredder and the Ninja Turtles in the same scene sounds sounds pretty arbitrary. I don't know, but, but maybe if maybe if I was there, if you and I were there every step of those meetings, it would make sense somehow. Like, no, it, it would sound so to me. They would fire me. They would fire us both. Like, <laughs> they're supposed to fight. What are you talking about? We can't have them in there, you dummy. You're fired. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, Freddie. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if the turtles just pick up a two links of sausage? And they like kind of smack someone with the links of sausage instead of their weapons, you know. And then everyone in the room's like, "Sounds good, yeah, sounds good," you know. It, what? It, it made it in there. They call it combat cold cuts. <laughs> Mike is both the armies. We'd both be flipping the table like we were yeah. talking about, out of frustration earlier. Impossible! <laughs> what are you? You know. And then I'm we're out both, of here. And we're both fired. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's just like I said. It, it's I. Just getting off of that and we'll get back to you. I, I love those movies. That first one's a perfect movie. Um, there's been some spots in all the other movies that have some kind of fun. Like the next one that you could probably get to is 2006, 2007, the animated one they did um, where I don't know if you saw that one, but it was where Leo was in Brazil because of uh, I can't remember what happened, but they had a huge disagreement. Raph was leading it. And he was the old. Yeah, that one was cool, but uh, everything since then hasn't been hasn't been fun when it yeah, comes that was, to movies. So. No, that was good. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a I, I think it's it's definitely in my ranking. It's number two, yeah. um, uh, you know, after the '90 film. Um, we we took my uh, Kiki and I took our oldest nephew Christian to see the 2007 TMNT movie, and um, he had never been to a theater before. Mm-hmm. And so the very early, there's some loud crescendo of music, and it it scared him we had no idea that it would, he would react this way but it's like he covered his ears and jumped up in our laps and we almost felt like well what well, we might just need to take him out of here like we didn't expect him to have that but he just it was so loud and from all directions that he had he just didn't know what to expect and so um and he was just up here about a month ago or something uh hanging out and he was like uh, we were talking about that because i asked him later like did that does that still scary or you know like basically did that traumatize you as a kid unintentionally with the sound he's like no it was just really loud yeah you know like so you know he's fine now because he's like 20 years old at this you know now but um (laughs) anyway that's that's my memory of it very good film but yeah um i like the animation everything about it was was strong it went a little off the path with getting into the the um some of the lore or whatever to i would rather have the turtles on screen more you know um but other than that it's it's quite strong 
Uh, last little fact I'll give you, it, it, this won't be like any party. I mean, actually, you run into a different circle than I do because everybody just looks at me like, oh, here he goes. He's talking comics again. He's talking cartoons again. You actually get to talk this stuff with, with people here in the medium. So it might get you some kind of favor. Uh, do you know who voiced Donatello in the 2007 TMNT uh, movie? Nope. Mitchell Whitfield. Mitchell Whitfield, if you remember the movie uh, My Cousin Vinny was Stan Rothstein. He was the, the second to Ralph Macchio and My Cousin Vinny. So the guy that got locked up with Ralph Macchio for stealing tuna and putting there into the Alabama prison was uh, was Don, the voice of Donatello. Um, oh, interesting. No, I did yeah. not know that. The only reason I know that is because I had him on and he was a very, very nice guy. And he was a very, very cool person to talk to. I, I, I talked to quite a few people that have worked on the Turtles and uh, you guys never cease to amaze me. Just your hard work and dedication alone. Um, just bringing these turtles to life and then getting to see your rendition of the turtles and Batman. Ver- I was going to say Batman versus Superman, but that's a horrible movie. That's not even a horrible movie. I like that movie a lot. I was going to say that's a horrible strip up on my part, but Batman versus the Ninja Turtles. When was this something you and James came up with together? Did James have an idea for it? And then he reached out to you because he liked your artwork or how did, how did you guys kind of meet up for this, this project? Yeah, um, James and I had not met each other before Batman Ninja Turtles. That's what brought us together. Um, but I had, I knew independently that there was supposed to be some sort of crossover with DC and IDW. Like um, Bobby, who was the editor at, at IDW on the Turtles, um, who just recently left uh, IDW. He's about yeah. to go. He, he just went freelance. But I mean, he's been with the Turtles for 12 years or something, yeah, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and has done a great job. I worked with Bobby a lot, but at that time, I was still early in my relationship with him. He told me that there was um, there there might be some crossovers that IDW and and DC were going to do together. And he didn't say specifically Batman, but he just said you know the turtles might cross over with DC. And since you've done so much work with DC, you, you might be a good fit for that kind of thing. But that was like two years before it happened. Um, it was like just a thing they were talking about. <clears throat> and I know from experience that there's, when you get two large intellectual properties and two big companies, it's very easy for business discussions to you know, derail uh, the agreement. And then it just gets canceled or something. So for a couple of years, I just thought it was going to be canceled. Then I had seen a crossover announcement of uh, Star Trek and Green Lantern on Twitter. And my, my editor, Jim, Chadwick, who was my editor at the time, was the one who tweeted it. So I contacted him, sent him some artwork and said, I would uh, send him links to my Ninja Turtle artwork and links to some Conan pages I had done. I said, I, I would love to draw. If you guys are looking for an artist for some crossover with the Turtles and Batman, I suggested that because it seemed like a natural fit. Um, I would love to be the artist. And here's these, these links uh, to my artwork. Um, well, you know, independently and unbeknownst to me, um, they had already, they as an IDW and, and DC had already agreed to do a Batman and Ninja Turtles crossover, had already, were, was already talking to James about um, if he would be the writer and what sort of ideas. Uh, basically, when they choose a writer, they say, well, give me like a handful of pitch ideas that of storyline directions you might want to go in and then they'll, they'll pick it or something. Um, but all that stuff happens without me. I'm usually approached, the artist is usually approached as almost one of the last facets of the crossover or something. Um, so I happened to be messaging Jim Chadwick at like the perfect time. And he even said that they were, they as a, you know, at the DC offices were discussing who would be the artist that they would like to draw this. I sent him an email, it came in on the right day 
And he joking, he joked with me and said that they were saying in the office, I must've been psychic because it was like perfect timing. And I had, I never have good timing or I don't think I do. Uh, that was like the best timing of my life. And that's how I got picked, uh, picked up for the artist for Batman Ninja Turtles, which has totally changed my career and the trajectory of the type of work I get to draw and stuff. It's, it's totally helped me. Um, it's been the, the luckiest, you know, stroke of luck in my life, I guess. So I, then after I was, so 2015, they announced it at San Diego Comic-Con. I'd only drawn two pieces of artwork at that time. And then that was when I made, uh, I met James, at, you know, the first time I was at that show. And then we, you know, I, he was just CCing me on emails of outlines and stuff like that. So that's how we got connected. I don't know how specifically he got connected, but that's how I got connected with him and the story and stuff. Um, so very much it was a, uh, you know, me falling into the lap of this situation then going, oh, I have, I've quantum leaped into a really awesome situation. Let me try to make the best of it and <laughs> hope I don't mess this up, you know? So looking back, and I don't mean to, to keep jumping all over the place, but I did, I, I've already taken up way more of your time than, than I meant to because it's just with that whole fucking Zoom snap loop. Uh, what could have been, ladies and gentlemen. But if you're having fun, man, I'd love to have you on down the road and we can go yeah. more in depth just about your career, man. Because I'm having fun and I hope you are too, even though we can't talk about the last 20, 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that just really... Ah, no, no. But what is it like just sitting back, you get to draw them, and then you get to see your vision, yours and James' vision, on the big screen, man. I mean, I got to imagine my pants got tight just seeing the cartoon or the comic and then it gets to a movie. I'm like, did I die and go to heaven? Because there's one thing I've always wanted. I've always wanted Batman and the Ninja Turtles in the same fucking panels or in the same movies and the same anything. And I was like, I'm just looking around. I was like, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but I'm glad I did it because this is all I've ever wanted since I was a little kid seeing these two creations come together. And, it, and like you said earlier, it, it was symbiotic. It was, you, it was like almost, you couldn't have one without the other. You know what I mean? It was just, it, everything made sense about what you guys wrote and what you guys drew and what you guys came up with. And then to see it get translated into a movie, I'm just like, holy shit. And I'm saying, holy shit, but you guys created this. What does it feel like for you? Did you be like, oh, my God, this is a movie now. More people are going to see this. What did you feel like? What does it feel like? Um, I Let's see. It was surreal because I've never experienced that before. Um, no, nothing that I've ever been involved with ever has made it into any other media, you know. Um, and I think I got like a little itty bitty sliver uh, of the experience that Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird had where, you know, they're you know, because when they created the Ninja Turtles and then to see it balloon into such a large thing, I got just a little sliver of that. So the specifics of how it affected me was um, Kiki and I rented the movie on video on demand. It's not like they, they didn't send us you free. one. They didn't send no. you one. Well, OK, they all right. They um, we we rented the video on demand the day of it was before the, the Blu-ray could be ordered or something, something like that. Then we ordered our own Blu-ray. Then when I went and visited the DC offices in 2019 in, in August or whatever, they also gave me a copy. So I have two copies. One I keep in my like morgue file or whatever it's called. I call it the vanity shelf. It's just everything <laughs> I've ever published or, you know. Um, and then we have another one that's actually in our collection if we wanted to watch it one day. But uh, so the day that we actually rented it on video on demand and watched it, um, I, it's like, uh, okay, so the artwork design 
is uh, like was re the, the way that I draw the turtles was not like the, the skull shapes and the mass of the characters. That's not the version art wise that they used. I mean, it was uh, redesigned by an artist who's very talented. I like his artwork named Andy Kuhn. It was like he was the main designer. So he redesigned what the turtles would look like. Um, meaning the shapes of their heads and how big, how, how tall they are and that sort of thing. The type of like gadgetry they'd have on their, like what sort of straps and belts and all this stuff was, was his version that they used for the animation. Um, so that put me outside of it a bit. It, it was like, you know, cause now I'm watching a story that I'm familiar with, but the characters don't look the way that I draw them, but of course they're recognizable and I like them. Um, but in the story, um, the very similar story beats at the very beginning of the film to what James and I created in, in volume one of the Batman Ninja Turtles. But the story beats, of course, change throughout. But the first time that it, the, the, the part that it changes the most or the one that had the most impact on me is in our version in the comic book, when Batman and the Shredder meet for the first time, it's like Shredder's up on this ledge, Batman's in a warehouse. They become aware of each other and realize that this person's going to be a, an opposing force to me. They kind of introduce themselves, then Shredder throws down a smoke bomb and he leaves. That's in our in the comic, but in the uh, the animation, that same thing happens up until he throws the smoke ball down. But then Shredder jumps through the smoke and attacks Batman, and they have an amazing fight scene, like one of the best fight scenes that have ever been shown. Um, and at that moment, for me, my experience into you know whatever year it came out, I can't remember now. Um, Maybe it was early to April 2019, but anyway, I was. We were sitting there, Kiki and I were sitting there watching it, and it's like my my consciousness left my body. And strange. <laughs> I, I was having like an out of body experience where, as soon as that happened, my own consciousness moved outside, and I was watching myself watch the film. It's very strange to describe, and I've, I haven't had that experience before. Um, and it kind of stayed like that for most of the rest of the film. And so I felt strangely, of course I was interested, but also detached. And um, what's the other, how I would describe it? It felt like I was watching an alternate reality because that's essentially what it is. But I've, I've used this analogy in the past where <clears throat> let's say you were at a family picnic or a family reunion when you were a kid and you remember it pretty well. And then later you see a VHS cassette uh, you know, where somebody filmed it. And in the middle of your family reunion that you are familiar with, um, on the VHS, it shows you that there a Kung Fu fight started in the middle of it. And it's like, I would have remembered that. That's not, that's not how it happened. And it, not in a bad way, you're just perplexed. You know, it's, I kind of felt like that. So anyway, the, the, it was a very interesting and fun experience, but it was almost, it's one that I can't really articulate very well. Um, and, uh, but the, the funnier part of it, like it's, it's an honor that I'm involved with any of this stuff and especially to see it translated into other forms of media and see how much people like it. It's, I mean, I feel honored, um, but something that, that humanized it and took some of that out of it in a way that I liked was that they, um, uh, whoever made the Nickelodeon and Warner brothers that made the film, um, misspelled my name in the opening credits. Uh, <laughs> so it says, um, based on the comic book by James Tinian or Tinian, I still don't know how he actually pronounces it, uh, um, but based on by, by James and then by Freddie Willems. So that it's missing the second I in the last name. Um, and there's something, there's something uh, 
really enjoyable about that. It's I've described it as if you're receiving an honor, like an award, but yeah. the the guy who's announcing it accidentally like belches into the microphone, and so everyone hears it. it like takes the some of the air out of it, but in a way that diffuses it. I'd rather it be like that than it to be too lofty or I don't know. It just it's a it's a funny thing that makes it more human and more relatable. So um, anyway, that that was basically experience with it i've since then gotten to know on social media the director and some of the uh, artists and stuff on on the uh on batman ninja turtles and uh i mean i think it's i've complimented them especially on that fight scene it's like one of the greatest fight scenes i've ever seen of batman and the shredder going at each other it's uh, i wish we had done something like that or had the space a whole extra comic book issue that we could have drawn 20 pages of a fight, you know, between Batman and the Shredder. That'd be so amazing. what you're saying is volume four is coming out very, very soon by Freddie. Williams. <laughs> yeah. Just by Freddie Williams. I'm going to name one of them bat uh, or wait, it'll be like uh, bat dude. And then <laughs> I'll use the original name for the Shredder. I said the greater. Yeah. That was Kevin said that he, he was like washing a cheese grater and he was talking about using them as weapons. You know, have you, have you seen the cheese grater that they released? <laughs> No. <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I mean, that, oh, I just I made a pun and I didn't mean to. That's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that it had the Shredder helmet on the top. Who released that? Was that Nickelodeon or yeah, Kevin? Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon released it. I got this one, or no, I think my uh, one of my friends got this for me. Um, but yeah, it was released by Nickelodeon, and I got it at GameStop. It was uh, like twenty bucks, I think. Um, but it also, it's uh, I don't know if it's in the box. I haven't opened it. But if you can see on the box, it's also got a pizza serving set. So you've got mm-hmm. a pizza cutter and then a pizza a pizza spatula you can use. So uh, pretty, pretty pretty phenomenal. You know what I mean? Wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah I, I wish that there was a Batman Ninja Turtles Volume Four coming out. I have the the original. I know that they um, IDW and DC made an agreement for a trilogy. We've already done those all three volumes, so eighteen issues was what the original agreement was for. So if sometime in the future they decide to do more, I would love it if that happens, and I would love it if I got to draw it. So we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. One day, hopefully, yeah. Fred Willems will come back on and. Uh... <laughs> really do a volume four for us do you think the if, prestigious freddie willems do you do you think you'd get paid twice for that as freddie williams and then freddie willems that'd be really cool <laughs> i wish i had thought of that i wish i had thought of that um yeah this is fred, no, Williams, I, fred willems i'm trying to get paid for this movie that dropped two or three years ago i never got yeah i'm <laughs> i'm both of those people and i deserve yeah. extra, extra payment for it um but they did they spelled it correctly on the cover and on the the end credits it's just that opening credit that kiki and i were like what <laughs> because it's it's kiki's last name too so we both had recognized it and rewound it we we're like weird that's so yeah. weird that you would in the opening credits and williams is not that rare of a name so i don't know that's probably the reason yeah, pretty common <laughs> yeah but that's probably the reason it got misspelled because whoever was typing it just did it quickly and and didn't think to to double check it you know you would think in a big budget you know a big budget company they would have somebody to proof <laughs> Proof check. You know what I mean? It, it, but it's always funny because, like, uh, speaking of, of misprints or, you know, errors like that, it's fun to see them in comic books. And then it's fun to see them find those mistakes at the edit, editor, uh, editing level. 
um, or editorial uh-huh. level, and then you get the trade, and then it's fixed. You're like, oh, these sons of bitches, they didn't leave it in there. I was like, I thought it would be in the trade as well. So, um, but uh, as we wind down here, man, I got some fans' questions. Uh, I one of the last things I started to do, so I didn't write any names down. So I apologize for the fans that wrote in, but your questions will get asked. So what we'll do is we'll answer, or I'll ask as many as I can, because like I said, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I already kept you long enough. And then for the part two, we'll go more in depth for these. So whatever comes to your mind, first, you know, first thought that comes into your mind, that's what we'll go with. Okay. Um, and then anything you don't want to answer, we'll just move past it. <clears throat> uh, standard one favorite turtle. Leo, Leonardo. How come? Oh, okay. Um, it's about uh, it's about leadership. I'm I'm drawn. I was raised without a father, as I was, as I was saying. I have a you know had a single mother, and um, I think that there's a the, like the 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 level of burden of responsibility of being um, I don't know being new or being a teen yourself, and you you know Leo doesn't have it all together, but he's being put forward not even by his own choosing, really that he has to try to, you know, wrangle all these different personalities and skill sets together. And he's got some really big shoes to fill with splinter and stuff. I love that dynamic. Um, so I, I've just always gravitated towards Leo. Uh, Raphael's my favorite to draw yeah. um, visually, but Leo's my favorite as a, as a character type. Yeah. Raph was always my guy. Uh, it's yeah. just, I get, a, I get associated a lot myself and see myself in him and vice versa. Um, that scene, uh, I want to say it was a panel in the comics, but it's, it's been, it's been at least a year since I've went back and reread them. Um, but you guys interaction with him and Damien were fantastic. I was never a fan of Damien. Um, <laughs> my Robin has always been Tim Drake. I just, I've, I've never seen him for a Robin, but that, that Tim Drake, that series came out right when I was starting to get comics and stuff. And I just remember like, Holy shit, this dude is cool as hell. He's smart. He, you know, he's not like the strongest, but he's smart and he uses all of this stuff that he has that he's good at. He uses that to, to like prop himself up. Right. So it really highlights his negatives and his positives, but outweighs his negatives with his positive. If that makes sense, all that fucking jumbo, I just threw out of my mouth, but he, he just really propped himself up and put himself in the best situation to win by doing whatever he could with tech and shit. Like I just really thought he was a cool guy, but seeing Raph and Damien and then them fighting and then like, nah, man, I really won. No, I won that one. No, nah, I think Raph won. No, I think Damien. I, I just like that, that, that smart. That, that was this, that was the, I guess the turning point for me to actually care about Damien in the, in the comic books. Cause I still go and get my comics every week. Um, and Batman's always, always on my list, Batman, the turtles, you know, there's um, some really good indie stuff out now that I absolutely love. Um, but, but Batman's been a mainstay and so is the turtles for quite some time. Ever since I started buying comics again with the new 52 reboot, Scott Snyder, man, that man, he's my favorite writer of all time, man. It is just whatever that guy's got. I always, there's a few people and you're on that list too. There's a few people that I give a kick in the nuts guarantee. And what I mean by a kick in the nuts guarantee is I put my sack on the line and I say, Hey, I've just got, uh, let's, let's throw this book out right here. And the only reason I'm, I don't want to do that one because people might judge me for it, but nonetheless, man, <laughs> so I'll just throw this one out there. I'm not saying that this one's got it, but it was one of the ones that's on the top of this list. Something I bought not too long ago. I'm um, pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty sure I got some better stuff here. I got a whole stack of shit. I've been trying to bag and board, but I would say, Hey, Freddie, Freddie Williams and Freddie Williams has a kick in the nut guarantee. So if you don't like this book, I'll let you kick me in the nuts. They're not going to kick me in the nuts because all I give them is good 
I only, I only read good stuff. I only watch good stuff. I don't watch the shitty stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so I give good recommendations is what I'm getting at. And you're on that list as well. Ever since Batman versus, or not back, keep saying Batman versus Superman, Jesus Christ, Batman versus the Turtles. Ever since Batman versus the Turtles, it's a Freudian slip, I think, Freddie. Um, ever since that that series, I'm, I've been hook, line, and sinker in all of your work, man. I love your art style. Your art style is fucking beautiful, dude. That one you posted today of Samurai Batman, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's all like i hate i hate i hate commenting on your stuff because that's why I, I say oh, dude because there's nothing else to fucking say it's just like jesus christ i could say breathtaking on everything but i'm like pretty soon somebody's gonna be like you know more words than breathtaking i'm like that's i really can't think of anything i could just start leaving dot 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 because nothing comes to mind it's just like everything you need to know is in your artwork like i said it's just fucking beautiful man i appreciate you posting so much no i i appreciate that and i also feel honored with that you know putting your sack on the line guarantee <laughs> that's uh that that's really putting a lot on the line i appreciate it and yeah. um uh, just on a side note uh, tim drake's my favorite robin as well and i i mean the the uh the series that i got my exclusive at dc was drawing tim drake so really from issue like 148 to 150 something i drew the interiors then i moved over to the flash for a few issues and i was just drawing the covers for robin and then i came back the last like six or seven issues before the series ended so um now my style was totally different it was this very open with just a little bit of um uh, dark uh, spot blacks to like on his cape and his hair and stuff, but it was nowhere near as rendered a very different art style and stuff. But um, I feel like I know Tim Drake as a person because it was, I spent like a year and a half drawing him and I feel like he's a friend who moved away and I just have lost contact with him. That's I, he feels like a real person to me because it was such a, um, I don't know, a definitive or such a, I don't know, such a, um, it was so special to me to draw that series and to connect with a character like that, uh, that I, anytime I get to draw him now, I feel, you know, like, Hey, it's my, it's my good friend who I haven't seen in years. You know, I drew like an eight page story or something like that for the 80th anniversary of, of Tim or of Robin. Um, this is like, came out like maybe a year and a half ago. Yes. And it was, it was awesome just to get to visit and, you know, visit with Tim again. Um, so anyway, it was, he's my favorite. And I, I have only, the only reason I really like Damien is I draw him like a brat. You know, yeah. I always make him look like he's all pursed up, like he's just a little jerk about stuff. Cause yeah, he's a lemon or some shit like that. Yeah. He's always got a yeah. pursed up look. Yeah. So. so I'm drawing him in a way to make fun of him. Like if I knew him as a person, I'd be like, this is what you look like. You see this? You see, you know, that's, it would be to make your fun stupid face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, uh, another thing that turned me around on Damien, I don't know if you read it, but uh, a huge, like I said, huge Snyder fan, a huge Capullo fan. Um, but when they were doing, um, what was it, Dark uh, Dark Knight Death Metal or whatever it was, but it's Batman a, a couple years ago. And then they're trying to, they're trying to find Batman. So it's, Damien is literally driving the Batmobile in the fucking Amazon. And then he's, you know, he's a little kid. So he's trying to fucking reach the, the steering wheel. So it's, it's up here and he can't see it. And then Wonder Woman's like, I can't remember the whole, whole exchange. And he's like, lady, I'm 12 years old. I'm driving the Batmobile. I can't see. What do you want me to do? So it's like that whole humanizing <laughs> little thing with him. It's like, oh man, if he was like this all the time, I could connect with him. But it's just like, it's very hard. Like I know so many people love Damien. It's like a love hate. There's very few people like, man, he's okay. You know, it's either you really love the character. Or you just like, fuck this guy. I don't give a shit about him. Um, <laughs> I'm starting to find myself more in the middle with that character because I'm starting to read more, uh, you know, from him. And I'm like, oh, I get it. He's, 
he's that he's like a Captain America. In a sense. not that he's got this moral compass that always points north, but he's like a man out of time in a sense, because he he was raised by assassins. He was raised to kill. He wasn't raised to love and fucking pet puppies and hug kittens and all the other shit. He was raised as a as a weapon of destruction. Yeah. And then Batman is getting him and he's trying to instill in him this morality that he needs to have. Like, you don't go straight to kill. You, you have to assess the situation. You're a person. You're not a fucking robot. And then once I started looking at it like that, I'm like, oh, this is all he's ever known. So yeah. why would I fucking hate this character? Because he's doing what he's been trained to do since he was very, very little. I mean, it, it's putting more thought into this fictitious character than I really, really, you know, want to do. But it, it's it's it makes it easier for me to like, oh, I get why he's an asshole. Oh, I get why he's so conceited and he's so stuck up. I understand. He doesn't get a pass, but I understand. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> uh, the next question. Favorite character in all of TMNT universes? So I'm assuming they're talking movies, comics, cartoons, everything. Who would be your favorite character? I think I think Splinter is my favorite. Um, they're like the warmth and father fatherliness. That's mm-hmm. probably not a word, but um, the 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 surrogate father thing um, is important to me, and the level of patience. But he's also incredibly skilled. But he has, you know, he's so centered that he's not like losing his temper about things. Um, but if it comes to that, he can, he can throw down in a way that matches Batman blow for blow in Batman Ninja Turtles. He just was able to neutralize him and then leave. You know, um, I, I think that's a, I love that type of character, the warmth of him and uh, wisdom, all that stuff. He can be tough when he needs to be, but he, he, there's a little warmth to him. Um, so I think Splinter. If you could have any crossover right now, this wasn't a question, but this is what I wanted to ask. And then we'll end it on this one. If you could have any crossover right now, you had the magic pencil. You could say, I want this universe and this universe to cross over. What two universes would you pick? <laughs> um, and it needs to be two. Okay. The, well, the practical universe. If you could have any crossover you possibly want, yeah. would Freddie want to put his name to and put his pencils it, to? I guess it would be, um, I mean, it would probably be a massive crossover that put all of those properties. So, you know, Thundercats, He-Man, Batman, the Turtles, Transformers, um, Silverhawks. Saturday cartoons is what you're getting at. <clears throat> that yeah, era. probably. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um I, it would be like, and GI Joe would be in there. Um, it, so yeah, I guess it would be those. It's it's the stuff that whenever I was a kid that I escaped into, um, and you know was feeding into my creativity, or it was creating the the, the scaffolding that I would build my creativity on. Uh, those are the. It would be awesome to to cross all of those over and in, into like a hundred issue thing that I would literally spend the next you know ten years drawing or you know something some sort of you know a magnum opus epic thing um that would be pretty awesome i'd love to do when when can we expect to see freddie willems or freddie williams (laughs) (laughs) well freddie willems can do anything he wants he he's uh he's uh, very assertive and he takes (laughs) he does what he wants and takes what he wants um but uh you know i i've gotten if my goal is to touch each of those properties in some way along along the lines, you know, at some time in my career. I've gotten to do a bunch of, you know, G.I. Joe covers and I've got to do some Transformers covers and um, the Power Rangers Godzilla stuff that I'm doing. It's like I'm getting to 
check them off as far as ever putting them all together. Obviously it's probably, I mean, I, I guess I can't say never, I just don't think it'll happen because it would be so many companies coming to an agreement. Um, but I sure would love to draw that, you know, that'd be amazing. <laughs> so before, before I do my little wrap up thing, I would love to just like whisper into your ear, two characters that I would love to see you work on, man. And these okay. two characters, um, I've, I've had such an affinity for these two characters since I was little, I've never been a Hulk fan at all. However, She-Hulk is my favorite Marvel character of all time. And they just uh, released um, the new She-Hulk series. I don't know if you, if you have time to actually read comics because I know you're busy as shit. Um, it's really worth a pickup. It is phenomenal. It's just the first issue. So obviously all I have to go off of is just this first issue. But She-Hulk has this past, or not this past, but this track record. <clears throat> And I talked about it with Charles Soule when he came to Megacon about the same time James Tinian came. Um, and he's like, I was like, I'd really love to see you back on She-Hulk. Can you, can you, I know you can't make it happen, but would you ever think about going back? He's like, here's the thing with She-Hulk. She-Hulk is for two types of writers and two types of artists, either people on the come up or people that are pretty much done, you know, they're at, towards the end of their career. And then he, he expounded a little bit on why it was and he broke it down a little bit. Um, but I, I would love to see your art style, even if it's just a fucking, I don't know, like a daily sketch. I would love to see you do a She-Hulk, man. It's, she's so underrated. And I'm so happy that, that she's finally getting, you know, a TV show because I think she is a character that can fucking stand on her own and just really be a powerhouse. No pun intended. I mean, she's a phenomenal character. And the other one that I thought your art style would be uh, amazing for, and, it, and he's got his, his series now, he's on issue three, was The Thing. Those are my two favorite Marvel characters of all time. And I, I think your art style would just, especially after I just saw the Batman Samurai you did, I, I think The Thing specifically, I don't know how much of a pain in the ass he would be to draw or if you've ever drawn them, but I think your art style would be phenomenal for those two characters. So maybe one day we might see Freddie Williams or Freddie Williams on one of those two titles. I would love to see it. I mean, I don't know if you ever have any aspirations for going to Marvel or anything, but I would love to see, you know, your artwork one day on those two books. Yeah. I I'm, I'm going to be involved with some Marvel art, a little thing pretty soon that hasn't been announced or whatever, but very small. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, there's, I have a bunch of favorite characters over at Marvel that I'd love to draw um she hulk and you know the thing would be awesome to draw i'd love that um and oftentimes it's like what projects are offered to you and yeah. you know frankly there's only been a few you know a small handful of things that have been offered to me from marvel um but i would love to draw there's like probably you know two dozen characters that i'd love to draw there and probably um a lot more than that that if if i got to play with their characters you know in their sandbox i'd love to yeah. add even more to it so um, yeah, I, I would love to draw that. I've drawn, I think I've drawn like maybe two She-Hulks ever, like commissions from a long time ago. And maybe the thing, I think I maybe drew him in 2012. Cause I, I remember drawing him the first Australia convention we went to. I remember drawing him for that. Uh, and he is difficult to draw. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of pieces going on there. Uh, a lot of shapes you have to get used to, to know what looks best on him and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I'd love to draw those. So put in a good word for me. Okay. Uh, I'll see what I can do is we're very, very small. You know, there's only a few thousand people that listen uh, to, to, to these. So um, maybe one day when I got some pool, when I got the Freddie Williams pool, I'm going to throw your name in there for sure. I'm going to bring you up Freddie Williams. You know what I mean? Um, I know I said that was the last question, but you, you brought up a topic real quick. So if you had one character from DC, one character from Marvel and you could do those characters and you could retire. What would those two characters be? So one from Marvel, they don't have to cross over anything, but who would be your dream from Marvel and dream from DC? 
Um, let me see. Oh, geez. It's such, it's such a complex answer. Um, it really is. Because my favorite characters, like my favorite character ever is Superman for fatherly reasons and stuff. But And he's fun to draw. I've drawn him a few times. But my favorite character to draw at DC is, is Batman. So I'd have to like come to some, you know, some uh, agreement in my brain of am I going for like an emotional sensitivity fulfillment and then Superman or a just artistic, cool stuff to draw gothic, dark, gritty, then I'd go with Batman. So I guess it's kind of like a, uh, a cheat answer. I'm cheating there um, with, with Marvel. Um, it would probably be uh, a world war two era uh, Captain America story. Draw like a, <laughs> a, a period you know, story where we never, never even see the, the modern day. It's just all 1940s or, you know, late thirties or whatever. Um, that would be if, if I could just choose a project there, but Wolverine would be an amazing character to draw for similar reasons to Batman. I mean, visually they're almost perfectly designed where you can see any part of their costume and know that it's them. Even if you're drawing just like the up of their hand or their belt buckle or their boot, you just know who, who it is. Uh, and they have a distinct silhouette and all that. So, um, those would be my my top four uh, <laughs> characters that I'd want to draw. Um, you know, uh, if if just if I could just have my druthers, I think that's the right word. If I could just make the decision myself, that's who I'd go with. Yeah. Well, those are outstanding <laughs> choices, man. And hopefully, one day we'll get to see at least a little bit of those characters we talked about. Also, um, that'd be awesome. Where can they find you if they want to come and say, "Hey, Freddie, I really like your work," or if you're open up for commissions, where can they say, "Hey, I would love to have a piece of work done by you"? Where can they? Find you? <laughs> Um, commissions are, are still open. They're just like five months. It's going to take me a long time to get it finished because I've got, uh, the, the, the Godzilla uh, versus Power Rangers schedule is my top priority. And so commissions are very much in the back burner, but, uh, I have a website, freddyart.com. Uh, I have a Twitter where I'm Freddie art or at Freddie art. And then on Instagram, I'm at Freddie art. And, um, those are probably the best places to find. I, I try to post at least three times a day. Like I post lots of artwork. So it's usually um, a warm up sketch that I've done in the past and then like a more finished commission at some point. And then in the evenings, I, I will post a full sequential page with like some zoom ins of different stuff, uh, depending on, you know, what the maybe the best, most detailed area of the artwork is. So um, yeah, Freddie Art is where to look on Instagram and Twitter. And then freddyart.com is my website. And so it, it's got a bunch of original artwork that's for sale. But even if you don't want to buy it, there's still relatively good quality images that you can look on. So there's like hundreds and hundreds of pages that you, you can look on or look at on my website. Um, and I even left the ones up there that have already sold just so you can see page one, two, three, four, even if some of those are sold um, for like hundreds of pages. So um, that would be the place to go. <laughs> and all those links will be in the description so people can just click them. They can go to them. I always do that uh, because I like seeing you guys work and so many of the other fans do. It makes it a little bit easier because when you ask somebody to just type in something, Vice just, oh, I, all I have to do is click and I can go there. It makes it a little bit easier for the fans. Um, Freddie, you've been an absolute blast. I can't wait to have you on again down the road to do a part two so we can really dive deep into the mind of Freddie Williams and uh, <laughs> deeper into his career, man. He's been Freddie. I've been Julian. It's been a What's in My Head podcast and it's been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.